how people think and feel is their responsibility. It's not my responsibility. One of the ideas in the book is give yourself the gift of being misunderstood. Someone makes wrong assumptions, if they have bad feelings, if they think incorrect thoughts about you, just let them. Like it's okay. (laughs) They're in charge of their own internal life. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, where today we have on Jillian Johnsrud, who just recently published her new book, Fire the Haters. But before that, let me reminisce with Justin about this fun weekend together. Justin, what were some of the highlights for you? Yeah, I was just sitting here trying to remember what happened. I don't know, you may have to fill in some gaps for me, but it... It seems like it was Leslie's 30th birthday and maybe yourself and Lauren and James and Emily flew down to Austin and, and we did a few things, maybe a, maybe a party boat, maybe a brunch, maybe there were baby goats involved. Like what was, what was your perspective of the weekend? Well, Justin, I just got to hand it to you. So we show up to the pregame for this crazy boat party and Leslie is completely unsuspecting. Although the night before she mentioned, wouldn't it be so cool if we had some animals here like baby goats because she's obsessed with baby goats. Justin, the magician, out of nowhere, this woman shows up with three goats, and they're just the hit. They're the stars of the party for an hour. They're wearing party hats. Everyone's taking pictures with them. It was an absolute blast. And not to mention the breakfast casserole, the way too much food. I mean, I was just stuffing myself because, like you, Justin, I don't let free food go to waste. So, man, it was an absolute blast. And then we, you know, we're all dressed up as chroma cowgirls and cowboys. So everyone had on their wacky costumes. Justin was killing it. I had like a leopard print bathing suit and a leopard print shirt with a cowboy hat. It was it was a whole lot of fun. Hit the water. What's Lake Travis is what it's called, right, Justin? Yeah. <laughs> Lake Travis. About four hours. Yeah, four hours on Lake Travis, which definitely was a doozy on my body because, of course, it's a boat party, so no seltzer went undrank. <laughs> so, <laughs> and later on that night, we end up making it out to the local club, the Parlay House, and. I'm going to spin this into a financially responsible decision. Ended up getting bottle service. So we had a day bed and, you know, a couple $300 bottles of liquor. Now, you're like, how is this possibly a financially responsible decision? Here's my defense. I'm at a point in my life now where I'm financially independent. I can spend on discretionary things like that. You know, I didn't go and sign a lease on a Bugatti. I didn't go and buy a multi-million dollar property. It was a one night thing and that is totally okay. So for all the people who think you can't have fun if you're in the part of this fire lifestyle and you know, you got to be penny pinching for the rest of your life. I know Justin, you talked about your new truck on our last episode. Maybe bottle service every once in a while isn't the worst thing in the world. (laughs) Now I might get some hate for that, but that's my five show lesson for today that you don't always have to be, you know, 100% buttoned up with your finances. You can still have a little bit of fun. And even if you do splurge here and there, as long as it's again, not a detrimental, huge fixed expense, you can always bounce back. And I'm sure you'll figure out some way to make it, you know, a tax write off coming down, doing market research on goat side hustles that we can spin into episodes. Like it really all ties together. For sure. (laughs) That's definitely a write off. (laughs) Hopefully the IRS isn't listening. All right. Well, enough of our weekend shenanigans, Justin. Let's get into the episode today with Jillian Johnsrud, author of Fire the Haters, Finding the Courage to Create Online in a Critical World. And not only is Jillian just like the funnest person to talk to, and she's super nice. I literally don't think she could ever say a bad thing. This book, and I've read this, you'll hear in the episode, when we were on a ferry going from 
one island to the next in Greece. I can't even remember which islands it was at this point. But I remember reading this. And after I was finished reading that book, I was fired up. I'm like, all right, I am ready to go create some content. And for those of you out there who have ever tried to create any piece of content, it is pretty terrifying at first. I think Justin and I can both attest to that. Like, we go back to our first blog post or our first podcast or your first post on whatever social media platform, your first video, it's terrifying. And you always think everyone's going to judge you. I remember I didn't want any of my friends or family to know that I was creating content, but this book was just a breath of fresh air. So if you're someone who's in that situation, you are nervous about creating content and you don't want to get the trolls and the haters and all that stuff. There's a lot of really tactical and actionable tips in her book, Fire the Haters. Yeah, Cody, uh, imposter syndrome is is definitely a real thing. And back in episode 68, we actually had Jillian on before where she talked a lot about things like courage that goes hand in hand with a lot of this. So there is like the courage to kind of like to stand up and realize like who is serving you and who is not and and who you should care about. But I also thought that she had a really great kind of analogy in this episode where maybe it's not what comes to mind when you think about courage or, or standing up for yourself because it's a little bit about backing up. And she talks about how what she's putting out there on the internet, articles, what have you, books, to think about it almost as like an adult child. Like, sure, you want the best for that adult child. You care about it, but you, you've you done all you can for that adult child. And now it's up to them to go make their way in the world. And it's not for you to jump in and try to call every person who turned them down at a job interview or had something negative to say about them and try to berate them and try to figure out like, you know, what are you talking about? Like you let them go and kind of defend themselves. And so that's the way that she views a lot of the work that she puts out on the internet. And I think that's a great way to kind of help take a step back and not make it feel so personal. Like you're being attacked, like you need to jump in and defend it because ultimately that's going to be terrible for your mental health. I know me and Cody have both been attacked plenty on the internet. I find great joy and getting on the internet and calmly replying in very nice ways because it just makes people angry. That's not for everyone. So you need to figure out like the ways you can deal with it. But I think Jillian gives some great tips. If you're out there doing any kind of business, whether it's digital business or making physical products, you're always going to have people giving you feedback. And like Jillian says, it's always time to fire the haters. So if there's anything in this episode that you just kind of want to look back on, summarize the notes, find those links to learn more from Jillian, or you want to share this episode with someone who you think would get a lot out of it, you can do all that over at thefyshow.com slash haters. That's thefyshow.com slash H-A-T-E-R-S. Take it away, Jillian. We've been financially independent for seven years now. But we were kind of approaching our finances much differently and that we're trying to like spend or give away the maximum amount versus the minimum amount. And it's been kind of a, a good shift in income for us just in the season of life, realizing that I don't want like an obscene amount of money when I'm old. I just want more time and like more fun and more adventures with my kids now. And was it just like a realization or was it like looking at the books and being like, this money just keeps growing. And so we definitely can spend more. Like, What was it that made you feel comfortable enough to, to change that bottom line? Because that's a scary thing because yeah. it's one of those where you feel like once you make that change, you're probably making that change forever, even though it's not true. But it, I think a lot of times people think like, if I start increasing it now, I'm kind of setting myself up for a habit. Yeah. I do one-on-one coaching with people who are looking at transitioning. So I'm kind of in people's numbers and I'm in like this season of life with people a lot. And one of the things that I do with clients and I shifted my finances in the same direction was I have, I call it like the old age pot of money. 
mostly in retirement accounts. But the idea is, you know, your money with compound interest should double about every 10 years. So once you get to right around that like 300, 600,000, if you're still fairly young, you're probably done saving for your old age money. It has a couple chances to double. So when you're 65, it'll be plenty. And that's based on like this 4% rule of withdrawal. But I have this in-between pot too, and it has different rules. And the old age money, the goal of that is for it to never run out. This in-between pot of money, the goal is to actually use all of it. Because once you get to old age money, like that's going to pay the bills. And so in this in-between pot, we're planning on pulling about 10% from that. And that really allows you to kind of increase your spending because the goal isn't to sustain this amount of money indefinitely. It's to use it within, if you pull 10%, it'll get you about 13 years on average, maybe 15. And so kind of maximizing your spending and just reorganizing your finances a little bit to give people more cash flow in this season of life when honestly, their expenses are probably the highest they ever will be. How do you define enough for yourself and how do you know when to shut it off? So just for some context, I was actually listening today to Ramit's podcast, the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. And there was this guy on there making $2.5 million a year, spending 20 grand and him and his wife were like about to go through a divorce because he just couldn't shut off the bringing in money wheel. He was obsessed with making money, didn't know how to spend on himself for a better quality of life. So I'm kind of curious how you balance those two things. Like, how do you you know, not go and upgrade your lifestyle to the max so that you're no longer financially independent, but you're keeping it at a level where you're not feeling like you're depriving yourself? Because I feel like finding that enough is really difficult for most people. In that person's kind of case study, if they were one of my clients, we would definitely kind of go back to their childhood and their family of origin, because I've talked to hundreds of people about their money. I've been in so many people's finances. I've never met a single person that how they managed their money, how they felt about their money, how they thought about their money didn't make perfect sense. Even if how they did it, I wildly disagreed with, or I thought was like kind of bizarre, or, you know, in that case, like just a huge disconnect. Once you understand their personality and once you understand that those early childhood experiences and that family of origin and that culture of origin, it all adds up. And sometimes, especially like in the FI space, it kind of rewards people who have a little bit of the scarcity mindset and who have this fear around money. Uh, They tend to be pretty good at saving and budgeting and reducing expenses. But I always tell people like, that might have served you really well. And it might have gotten you out of debt and it might have gotten you this huge nest egg. But what got you here won't take you where you want to go next. And if you want this next chapter to really be enjoying your family and your time and your freedom, like that same mindset, those same kind of values might not serve you in this next chapter. And you kind of have to unwind some of that And it is tough when like it worked for your grandparents and it worked for your parents and it worked for you. Like I have a lot of high earning clients and a really common kind of money mindset that they usually grew up around was you can work your way out of money stress and out of money problems. If you have a money problem in your life, you just work harder. You work longer hours. Like 
you get more education, you get a better paying job. And that that works for a certain amount of time, but then like you're a workaholic and you have no life and you've bankrupted all these other elements of your life. You might actually have to start budgeting and investing and doing things a little different. And when you're working with all these people, couples, and you're kind of unpacking that past, obviously, I think a lot of times, you know, if you, you hear the example that Cody just gave, there's probably, you know, some interest in changing that person, getting them to come to a little bit more sustainable lifestyle. When you're trying to get someone to change, have you found that most of the time it's just helping them understand where it came from so they can accept it and realize it? Or I guess, what do you see as a way that helps people actually do something about it? Yeah, so there's a common theme in psychology that our default is when we see the patterns in our family of origin, the default is to either copy or rebel against one or the other. Just instinctively, we pick one or the other. And sometimes that works out great. Sometimes to copy or to rebel against is the exact right thing you should be doing. But oftentimes, To get us where we want to go, there's a more unique path. There's a more customized path. There's a slight shift into this default or into this like copy or reject. And so realizing what the patterns were, which patterns they either copied, which patterns they rejected, and what patterns are actually going to take you where you want to go. And we might, some of those we can maybe keep, some of them maybe are working well, but a lot of them we have to we have to adjust a little bit. We have to tweak a little bit because they're not going to serve you to make progress in your goals. Shifting gears a little bit to content creation, I'm actually going to give you a challenging question to see if you can think back way back because you've been just creating online for a while now, helping, inspiring. Can you remember back to the first piece of content that you ever published or shared or anything online? And then how you felt and how you got the courage to actually go and create that piece of content. And this question might sound weird, but it's going to make sense as we meander into the next topic. (laughs) I kind of do. It was a little set of blog posts. I created like five or six. One of them was about, and this was way back. Oh my goodness. This was seven years ago. So seven years ago, one of them that I really liked, it was only a couple paragraphs, but it was called work optional. And it was kind of the term that me and my husband used when we transitioned into our FI life. And I shared it with Jay Money, another personal finance blogger. He was running a curation site at the time. And I emailed him and I said, hey, I'm going to launch a blog. I have, I have these posts. Like, do you have any feedback? And I was so nervous. And he is, he is a rock star. He is like the best human being ever. And he was so encouraging. And on the day that I published my site, he featured one of my posts on Rockstar Finance. And it was for like a brand new blogger. It kind of felt like drinking from a fire hose. (laughs) And when you were starting out doing that, did you really have the future in mind? Or was it like, I got this little idea and we'll get it out there? Or did you go into it with this plan of I'm going to do this first and in six months I'm going to go here? Not at all. Originally, when we became Phi, we decided just to take a year off. That was like the first, we'll just focus on a year. And I always encourage people to do this. Like it's so hard and it's so scary and it's so overwhelming to be like, for the rest of my life, I'm committed to this path and not working again. Like just try a year, start there, see how it goes. So we had started with just a year. And one of the things that I wanted to do during that year, I wrote down on my list, something to do with writing. 
I had always loved writing, but I grew up pretty close to the poverty line and just from a really kind of practical, hardworking family. And that internal story that I had was like, you have to have a job that pays the bills. It better pay you on Friday. Like it better pay you so you can buy groceries. Like to do anything else is gambling or it's indulgent or it's not practical. Like you're not being smart if the job doesn't pay you on Friday. Like you're being a sucker was kind of all of that messaging I had internalized, which is just so detrimental to an entrepreneurial or a creative life. So when I became Phi, I was like, hey, things that doesn't have to make money, things like I have enough money to pay the bills on Friday. Let's kind of circle back to some of those old dreams. And were you nervous at all starting out to share with friends and family? Like, especially the concept of Phi is a weird one. It's not like you're talking about something that everybody knows about. It's not like you have a blog on baseball or like a blog on gardening. Like those are things that people generally at least know something about. They know what they are. Fi is just this strange concept. I remember when I first started creating content, like I didn't want to tell my family or especially my work or my friends because they thought I was a weirdo or I thought they would think that I was a weirdo, which finds out funny enough, they didn't, but I didn't want to share at all. I didn't share on any of my personal social media. I didn't share anywhere where I thought that like people I knew in real life would find my stuff. So was that kind of the same with you? Were you really terrified to share in like your IRL, the in real life people? Yeah, I was absolutely terrified. Like I didn't post any pictures of myself. I didn't use my real name anywhere on the site. Like I was completely anonymous for like the first two years. Because I was so nervous about friends and family, about those reactions. And I just knew myself that like, I knew that there were going to be bad days on the internet. I knew there was going to be days where there would be haters or I would make a mistake and I would just get blasted for it. And on those awful worst days, I also knew I wouldn't be able to handle my friends and family piling on to that and being like, see, I told you so. See, I knew that this was a bad idea. Like just kind of that extra negativity would have sunk the ship. And that's what I, something I encourage everyone to do. Like if you know that there's a failure point for you, just create a workaround just create an alternate route. Like you don't have to power through every point of failure, especially at the beginning. It's like, speaking of gardening, it's like a little fragile plant. It's a little seedling, like give it some protection and love. Like when you move it out into the garden bed. And Cody kind of alluded to, you had those fears, but they turned out to be unfounded. What was your experience? Like you had those fears but obviously now today that's not the case. And so how have you kind of seen that evolve? Like were your fears like reinforced or did you realize, you know what, actually people weren't piling on? <laughs> online or friends and family. <laughs> like the friends and family. <laughs> you can't, no one can stop the online haters. Yeah. yeah. It's been fine. <laughs> it's been fine. It's been fine. Like it hasn't been super negative, but I think a lot of my friends and family are really confused about Phi. They're really confused about what I do online and they feel uncomfortable about it. So like nobody speaks about it. It's kind of like the elephant in the room that we don't really talk about. I'm pretty open now. Like any honest question people have, like I will provide an answer for, but I think now it's more of their discomfort versus mine. So let's dive into your book, Jillian. And 
I was really excited. I was just telling you before we hit record here. I actually just crushed the entire book on a ferry from, I think it was from Santorini to Crete in Greece. And I was feeling so motivated to go and create content after I read this book, Fire the Haters, Finding Courage to Create Online in a Critical World. We've just been kind of leading up to this. So could you tell us like, why'd you create the book? Maybe a really high level. And I have a bunch of notes on the book, so definitely want to dive in, but just give us a quick synopsis. At my heart, I love creatives and entrepreneurs. Like these are my favorite people. And these were the conversations that we were having, especially like I mentioned, I've been doing this about seven years and most of my friends are kind of in that three to seven year space. So we're all kind of new, (laughs) even though that's like old and online years, we're kind of like, we're all figuring this out. And all of us have to like find a way to navigate this creating online life. So I loved having these conversations. And honestly, all of the lessons in this book, it's kind of like a handbook for every hesitation, every fear, every little setback you might experience because I've been there. I did them all. Like I did all the wrong things. I had all the wrong mindsets. And slowly, one by one, you kind of get through the other side. And I just thought, oh, if I could just like gather all these little things together and give it to people at the beginning of the journey, it could save them all of this heartache. And as you got the book out there, did you find that the audience ended up only being really effective for people who were wanting to write things and put things out on the internet? Or do you feel like this is a book that has a broader audience than that? Because I feel like those same kind of fears are true, whether you are a blogger or not. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. It's funny, some of the parts that really resonated with people outside of sharing stuff online a lot of the stuff around boundaries, boundaries with your work, boundaries with your friends and family. Clear as kind is kind of an idea that's pretty universal and helpful across the board. So there are a lot of other tidbits in there and things that just kind of get you going and moving. Like you don't have to be the most experty expert. Like that idea, whatever project you're in can kind of help get people unstuck. One thing I liked that you defined in the book was inner critics. So yourself, imposter syndrome, all that stuff versus like outer critics. And I mean, those are two, I guess, easy things to define in essence, but you really kind of dial down into each of those. And I was wondering if you could just speak to either of those in any way that you see fit, because I found it really helpful for my own mental framing. The external critics, I tackle it from a lot of different angles. Like one 
you know, kind of create some characters of like, who are these people online and like how to understand and kind of deal with them. One of my favorites is the CEO of the internet, like that person that's just convinced that like, they're your boss and everything you do and create and say should perfectly match their preference, their ideas, like their taste. And they'll just blast you if you step out of line. And it's like, buddy, you're not writing my paycheck. (laughs) Like you're not actually my boss. It's cute that you think that though, but a lot of it for creatives and entrepreneurs, I talk a lot about having boundaries with your work, which is not intuitive for most of us. There's this huge temptation to view our work as an extension of us, as like our child that we created and we nurtured. And the reality is if someone's attacking your child, you should defend it. Like you should go to bat and like have a big reaction. Like that's the normal framework. So what I found was more helpful for me, if I have to think about my work as my child, is that my child has grown. It's a full grown adult and they've graduated high school. They graduated college. They're out there in the world doing their thing. And so it's not really appropriate if my 25-year-old kid is at his job for me to come in and be like, are you people being mean to my son? Who's saying what about (laughs) him? Like, I don't think you should be so critical of his performance. Like, that's a super weird helicopter parenting thing. (laughs) And it's the same with my work. I graduated college. I waved goodbye. I send it out there. It's full grown. And it's supposed to do its job out there. So if it's having some conflict or criticism, I trust it can handle itself. It's grown now. And actually, someone just messaged me today. Sometimes people tag me on social media now when they're dealing with haters. I just love it. And they message to kind of like apologize, like, sorry, I tag you in this, like, because it blows up my Twitter feed, my notifications. But I was like, no, I love seeing my work out there doing its job. This is what it was created to do. And it's doing its job out there. And like, I am so thankful to see it. But having kind of that emotional boundary that the work isn't me, and to take that a step further, I'm not my work's success or failure. If my 25-year-old gets fired from a job, that's a bummer. But like, I didn't get fired. I didn't lose my job. If they win an Oscar, I'm not going to like rush the stage and push them aside and grab it. Like, I'm so happy for them. But like, that's not me. That's my work. And when our identity is so overly tied to our work, it creates all of this insecurity and fear and kind of unhealthy reactions to the criticism, the success, the failure that you're going to have. And I think the natural reaction, like you said, like to kind of get defensive if somebody attacks something that you've done that you kind of try to take it personal. I think you, or at least most people naturally almost always think, well, no, I was right. You're wrong. What about the situations where like you try to slow down a little bit and figure out if there is some kind of constructive criticism in there that you could take and and make your work a little better? I think it's important to be thoughtful of who you take feedback from. Random trolls on the internet, like shouldn't be your creative director. Random CEOs of the internet shouldn't be the ones dictating your business structure. And so it's important to create kind of that circle of people that you've invited to the table to speak into your life, to speak into your business and to your work, and really have that a safe, like 
open environment. And not that they're bad suggestions, but you're going to spend so much time and energy like filtering through all of it and analyzing all of it. I'm more of the mindset of like, if it's overwhelming, just take none of it and (laughs) move on with your life. Like when I first started, I'm dyslexic. So my spelling is incredibly creative and inventive. And when I first started, like I couldn't hire an editor, like I didn't have Grammarly. And so it was just a little bit of a mess. And oh my gosh, the CEOs of Spelling and Grammar just blasted me constantly in like, you shouldn't be allowed to write. You're wasting our time. You're ruining the English language. You sound like an idiot. We're convinced to shut me down. And like, yeah, spelling is a great suggestion. And when I could hire an editor, I'm very happy for them to speak into my spelling and grammar and I pay them for that feedback. But at that moment in my writing journey, to internalize all of that would just mean I didn't write. And I'm so thankful. Like I had an English teacher in high school who never thought spelling was essential or important to sharing stories and coming up with good ideas. That ideas and stories were something entirely different than spelling and grammar. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, I still have ideas and I still have stories. So I'm still going to put it out there. And like, some people can get their panties in a twist, but like, that's not how people think and feel is their responsibility. It's not my responsibility. One of the ideas in the book is give yourself the gift of being misunderstood. Someone makes wrong assumptions, if they have bad feelings, if they think incorrect thoughts about you, just let them. Like, it's okay. (laughs) They're in charge of their own internal life. So what about when a comment actually does get under your skin? And I know some really tough skinned people, but I mean, oh my gosh, some of the comments are just so vicious, especially in those big main forums. Justin and I have gotten eviscerated. Luckily, we're both like lighthearted about it. And like, oh my, people have just said the most horrible things. But I can imagine, I mean, some content creators I'm friends with, some that I look up to, even Pat Flynn, who I admire a lot, he stopped creating content for a month because someone just kept coming at him, like really getting under his skin, saying really uncomfortable things to him. What do you do in a situation like that? Like, I'm guessing, obviously, don't engage with this person directly, or maybe I'm wrong, but My gut tells me, ignore this person. You know, they obviously have some issues that they need to deal with. But what if it's like really bothering you and affecting you? How do you, on a visceral level, like do the inner work to get over that hump? I think it's okay to take a step back, to log off of social media. It's kind of like a thunderstorm rolling through. And sometimes to engage and to stay present and to keep consuming it is just going to prolong the suffering. Take a day, take two days, turn your phone off, like go for a hike, engage in your real life with your real people. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your other creative online entrepreneurs, like people who you've invited to the table, who you want their feedback, you want their criticism and their support. For my podcast, I interviewed Tori Dunlap and she had an incident that was like a firestorm, like just days of thousands of messages and like death threats. And it was super over the top. She's like, I just disconnected. And I talked to real people who know me and like, hey, was I in the wrong? Like, could I have handled this better? Like, why are people having such a big reaction? Like, what can I do to fix this? And yeah, understanding, you know, I talk about in the book, like, 
there's the apple cart people, the people that something that you do, whether innocent or a mistake, presses on an old wound of theirs. And I liken it to kind of a deep bruise. Maybe on the outside it looks healed, but if someone knows exactly where to push with their thumb and they push hard enough, like people will cry out in pain. They'll have what seems to be this too big of a reaction. So that's them. Unfortunately, we're also people and we have our own triggers. We have our own deep wounds that if someone presses on really, really hard, it can trigger that big reaction. And I try to view that as like, okay, I have a little bit more growth to do. Okay. I've got a little bit more healing to do in this area. Like this is something that I need to kind of bring some new blood and like flesh this out a little bit, because obviously I still have this pain point that the reality is like, if you create long enough, someone will find your pain point and they will intentionally push it because they want to manipulate your reaction. They want to see you having a reaction to what they're doing. So yeah, I try to view as an invitation for extra growth and healing. This question might be a little beyond the bounds of the book, but me and Cody, obviously, we don't have children. So when we have someone on the show who has a big family like yourself, I like to always ask questions about what is it that they're doing like with their children? And I can imagine you probably have lots of lessons with them or, or exercises or just interactions where it's helping them understand because they're in a very digital world as, as kids today where they're getting that. But what about like, not becoming the internet troll, like understanding like what you're putting out there in the world, that there's someone on the other end of that screen. Yeah. So my kiddos are six through 14. So I've got six, nine, 10, 13, 14, five of them at home. None of them are allowed on any social media. None of them have a cell phone. None of them have any social media accounts. I've been on social media. I know what's out there. (laughs) The reality is studies show it's so addictive to your brain. And becoming addicted, whether it's to alcohol or cigarettes or drugs at a young age, causes your brain to develop around those addiction pathways. And people will tend to feel that addiction for their entire life. And so I'm just like, there's a reason why like you can't drink or smoke till you're older. It's because if you wait till you're 21, you're a lot less likely to become an alcoholic at 40 because you didn't use that as like a coping mechanism while your brain was still rapidly developing. And social media is very addictive. (laughs) Like it releases serotonin and dopamine. And I just don't want to set them up in this super digital world with a propensity for that addiction. So well, maybe my 14-year-old's like never doing it. Under no circumstance. He's like, I see no upside to social media. And it's hard to argue with. Like, it's hard to be like, no, there's so many redeeming qualities. Like, I get it. He's kind of into video editing. So it's like, hey, maybe you could help me out with TikTok. Like, maybe you could help me make videos. And he's like, I'll edit it, but I'm not going to make them because I'm not going to be on social media. And I'm like, it's kind of like my account. Like, your face isn't going to be on there. Like, you're just going to be right. He's like, nope. No, I'll edit it, but like, I'm not doing it. So, okay, that's fun. Maybe he can use uh, LinkedIn. I feel like it's got the least amount of trolls out of all the social media. (laughs) He's pretty adamant that there's no value add. So we'll just address that when he has a change of heart. But to answer your question, like learning online behavior is really important. 
And once they're to the age where like, we need to start having those conversations, it is something that like everything else, like how do you answer the phone? How do you pick up your dishes? Like you have to talk to kids over and over and over and over, like brush your teeth. I cannot describe how many times I've had a brush your teeth conversation in my house and social media won't be any different. Well, kudos to your 14 year old. That's amazing that he has no inkling. He doesn't want to be on social media at all. I definitely can't say the same for myself, even though social media was like on the come up. I was all over MySpace and Facebook in the early days. You did mention content creation there with TikTok though. And I'm curious for those who are, they want to be a content creator in some form or fashion. They want to share the knowledge that they have in their head with the world. I remember when I first, I think the first podcast episode, I edited it myself and I probably spent like, I'm not kidding, six or seven hours because I was so nervous. I wanted it to be perfect. And I feel like even new stuff that I'm doing today, sometimes I see myself being too much of a perfectionist. So as a content creator yourself, who's been creating content for, you said, seven years at this point, how do you get over that hump? How do you get over the, okay, this is finally good enough to put out into the world. I don't need to spend these extra extraneous hours on it, even though you might want to, because you think people are going to be hypercritical if there's one little thing that you might notice. I'm really curious how you've kind of thought about that through your content creation journey. Yeah. So there's two ideas that were helpful for me. One, I mentioned like the myth of the experty expert. It's so tempting to be like, I have to be the most experty expert to like have a voice or to put anything out there. And like, there's so many people that like are better than me or smarter than me or more knowledgeable about this. And the reality is like where you're at right now has value to someone where you're at right now can help someone. And just focus on that person and just get going because there isn't going to be just one, one podcaster because they have the best podcast. So there gets to be no other podcast or one book because it's the best book and no other books get to be written. Like there's space for lots of people. And the reality is there's probably some combination of your story and your personality and your viewpoint that's going to connect with someone to where I like to say like everybody can be somebody's favorite. As impossible as that seems, there's something about you and the way you describe something or tell this story or explain it that is going to connect with someone more than anyone else. I don't think I have an amazing newsletter. It's fine. I like it well enough. But like, am I like, it's the best one in America. It's the best English newsletter out there. No, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) And yet every week, every month, someone hits reply and says, yours is my favorite. Out of all the emails, if I'm on vacation, I'll go back for a couple weeks to make sure I find your email and open every single one. So that's something that's helpful for me. And another more painful reality, I have a chapter in the book about this Ira Glass quote. And the premise of the quote is that we get in to something because we have good taste. We get into it because we have a good perspective. But the reality is our skill doesn't match our taste. And the only way to build your skill is to continue to produce work that doesn't meet your standard. I think about it like stacking a stone wall. Like you know where you want the wall to be at the end. And every stone you stack falls short of that goal. But the only way to get up to the top is to keep stacking one at the other that falls short. 
of what you want it to be. And it's so painful. It's such a painful reality to live with. But whenever I produce something, that's like my only comfort is like the only way this is going to get better is for me to create more of this mediocre content. You know, and that kind of makes me think about you do all this work, you finally get the book out there. And I'm sure that's this huge event. You've been working on it for so long. Like you said, nothing can ever be perfect. So you've got to pick a line in the sand and say, okay, this is good enough. You get it out there. Now that it's been out there, how do you feel? Like, do you feel like you immediately start getting feedback? Like, dang, I wish, okay, I want to make a revision. Or, or do you feel comfortable with where it is? Day it released, I wanted to edit it. <laughs> I actually have like a file on my computer of like all of the edits. I was like, oh, I could have used this illustration. Oh, I could have told that story. Like, I should have clarified these points. And especially in doing interviews for the book, because I'm talking about it so much and I'm getting so many questions that I'm learning to tell the stories and share the ideas better, which is like such a painful reality. But the thing that got me to like wave goodbye to the book and celebrate its little graduation party was the idea that it'll be helpful. Not that it's perfect. Not that it's the best book ever written. Not that it's better than any other book on the topic. But I truly believed that it would be helpful for people. And that's good enough. It's not perfect, but it's helpful. And as a wise woman once told me, Jillian, you make a thing, you make the rules. <laughs> yep. Can you explain that quote? I was one that I highlighted while I was reading your book. So it's so tough online because it's a little bit like the Wild West. Like you're creating something new and different. You're not in a set structure or organization. And a lot of other people would like to make the rules for you. But the reality is you have to create rules that protect your time and your energy and your focus and your vision. And whenever I hear people like, really frustrated with their work or burned out on a situation or just they're having all this conflict, it almost always boils down to they either haven't made rules around it or they have not clearly communicated those rules almost every time. And so it's things like around your time, around your energy, around what you say yes to and what you say no to. What do you allow people to comment? What do you respond to online? You have to figure all of this out for you because no one else will. No one else will create these rules for you unless they're trying to be the CEO of the internet and just like boss you around. And that's probably not helpful either. <laughs> this idea, like that's my go-to saying, like you make the thing, you make the rules. And oftentimes like people feel bad about it. If you made the thing, it's your responsibility to protect it. Like if you care about it, like create rules that keep it safe and productive. And your book talks a lot about, or it's dealing a lot about how do we deal with people who may not like something you do or your fear around them not liking something you do. But like you said earlier, you thought it would be helpful and that I know is true that it is helpful. And so from the interactions you're getting, like you mentioned people reply to your newsletter. I'm sure you've had people reply to you or, or reach out to you about the book. What's like the one thing that you find has been the most helpful, like the thing that people keep coming back to from the book, like if people could take away kind of one nugget from the book? That's tough because there's a lot of nuggets. <laughs> and so I think <laughs> what resonates really depends where people are at. Like, what are they struggling with? What's the thing that like they're stuck and that idea helped them get unstuck. But in general, like I would say that your work is a grown up. 
and you were not your work. Like that's something that we all have to get to eventually. And that really helps people kind of fast track that mental mindset shift. And I would say boundaries, boundaries around your work, boundaries online, like giving yourself the gift of being misunderstood. Like what is your responsibility? What is other people's responsibility? And like, I kind of compare them to garden boxes because I am obsessed with gardening. Like you have your garden box and like, that's your job. Other people have theirs, their thoughts, their feelings, their words are in theirs. Like you don't need to go over into theirs and start meddling in their garden box. If they want to fill it with weeds, let them fill it with weeds. If they want to fill it with hate and ignorance and like nonsense, that's their thing. That's their responsibility. Like it's not my job to micromanage other people's internal life. It's fine if they don't like me. Like, I'm not going to fight that battle. It's fine if they misunderstand me. Like I said, I have a rule. I'll answer any honest question. But oftentimes the feedback online is like, that's stupid. I don't (laughs) think that's correct. I don't like that. That actually isn't a question that warrants a response from me. I'm like, you can think and feel whatever you want about it, buddy. Like, it's actually none of my business. Well, Jillian, it is always a pleasure catching up with you and just seeing all the amazing work that you're putting out into the world. And for those who want to check out your book, Fire the Haters, keep up with you on social, your podcast, all the things. Where are the best places to do that? Yeah, you can buy the book anywhere. Amazon's obviously the easiest one. My site is JillianJohnsRude.com. And I actually have like a free video course for content creators to kind of help Especially I have such a passion for like small businesses who they just kind of have their head down and they're doing their business, but like they could connect with their customers online, but they're like, ah, yeah, I haven't actually done that. So I kind of geared the course for them. Like, how do you start creating content to grow your business in like really practical ways? And that's jillianjohndrew.com slash content. Well, Julian, thank you again for coming on the show for a second time with me, third time with Cody. (laughs) It's been a fun time and I can't wait to see you again in person where maybe you're running around with your snack bag. It's always my my favorite site (laughs) at FinCon. I love it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also, don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way, every Wednesday, you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.